you're tuned in to the Inattentive ADHD Coalition's podcast. In today's episode, our guest is Chris Hansen. He's the founder of Life Skills Advocate, an organization that supports teens, adults, and families experiencing neurodivergency and the challenges that come with it. He will share his experiences before he got diagnosed of ADHD at 35, which inspired him to start his organization. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Katherine Ellison. I'm a journalist and author. Chris, can you tell us where you're at today and, and what you do? Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. I'm located in the Seattle, Washington area. I am the owner and founder of an organization called Life Skills Advocate. We support neurodivergent teens and adults, building, helping them build autonomy and independence and navigating their neurodiversity with more confidence. I've spent my entire professional career and also my personal life in special education, supporting that population, being neurodivergent myself with ADHD. So love what I do and wouldn't give it up for anything. It sounds really great. When did you discover that you were neurodivergent and do you have inattentive ADHD? I, I think diagnoses when I was a teenager were more along the lines of learning disability. My ADHD diagnosis actually happened when I was 35. I'm 40 now. Can you repeat? Was, there it, attentive? was it inattentive ADHD? The paperwork actually says undefined, but I, I tend to believe it's inattentive. What makes you uh, think that? I think for some of the things that you're seeing in the, in the internet, I struggle with the additional control aspect of executive functioning. You didn't get diagnosed till you were 35, and usually boys get diagnosed earlier. Why do you think that was? Um, I don't know exactly. There's some other things that maybe presented more strongly when I was younger, perhaps the depression and anxiety, which I've now come to learn is more resulting from ADHD as opposed to the other way around. That tended to be the focus. And I did struggle with reading comprehension. And there was some labeling around learning disabled. It was just a different time where maybe it just wasn't as obvious and or maybe the, they just weren't looking for the right things. Maybe it just wasn't as apparent as other things might've been at the time. But if you could go back in time to when you were sitting there in the classroom, do you think there's something that a teacher might have noticed had they been perhaps more informed? I think some of the classic symptoms that come up with the fidgeting and struggling with comprehension in general and just needing to, to hear instructions repeatedly and have instructions written out in certain ways that were maybe different from others. Long blocks of text are challenging if, if instructions can be written out bullet points can be helpful. I also had some behaviors in, in middle and high school. I don't know if that was necessarily directly connected to the ADHD, but I think it might have been another one of those things where the ADHD was a catalyst. There's a lot of attention-seeking behaviors, and there was even a time where I, I had some self-injurious behaviors. I felt very small as a kid and even as an adolescent and into adulthood still struggle a lot with just feeling comfortable in my own skin and uh -huh. not necessarily always feel heard that my self-advocacy is going to be heard. So uh -huh. a number of different things. It seems like that's given you extraordinary compassion. You got into special education long before you were diagnosed, right? It's funny because when I was actually in high school, I was like, I'm done. I am never going to go back to a high school as long as I live. And then mm -hmm. you know, 10 years later, uh, I find myself back in, in the high school setting. But working with the population 
of kids that that I felt like I connected with the most and could serve the, to the best of my ability. So, did you go to college? I did. I got my bachelor's of science in special education. So there's never anything real serious until I pursued my special ed degree. Interesting. And what did inspire you to go to special ed? What was the inspiration for that? It was my aunt and my cousin who is significantly impacted by his autism. And I had the opportunity to reconnect with them. And she was telling me all about what she does and sounded awesome and just really wanted to to get into it. She was living in Seattle and I had the opportunity to come out and spend some time with her in her classroom and meet the principal of her school. And next thing I know, I'm moving out here and pursuing my own journey. Yeah. But it sounds like school was pretty hard for you. Um, Very much. What was hard about it? Boy, beyond the rigorous academics, that in and of itself was very challenging with the expectation to to complete assignments on a schedule, but not being taught how to plan your assignments or taught how to manage your time around them or to get some direct support with executive functioning. Socially, I just had a really tough time. I don't necessarily know that it was directly correlated with the ADHD. Uh, we moved around a lot. And every single time I started at a new school, it was trial by fire, learning how to make friends all over again and failing, navigating childhood in a, an un- unideal way. Why'd your family move so much? My parents divorced when I was in third grade. I lived with my mom primarily from third grade until like eighth grade. And for financial reasons, my mom needed to move around a lot to achieve some level of stability. I ended up moving to moving into my dad's home for for a while. My high my high school years were spent in my dad's house, and which was a lot different because he's more rigid than my mom. There was definitely adjustment period. I, I had a tough time and it only made school harder. Yeah. I do believe that both my parents did the best that they could with the resources they had at the time, but it was certainly challenging. What was it that prompted you at 35 to get your diagnosis? My therapist has ADHD himself and he suspected that maybe I do as well. He thought it would be a useful for me to confirm one way or another. How did it feel when you got that diagnosis? It was a combination of this weird resentment towards myself and maybe others that supported me earlier that, man, it would have been nice to know this earlier, (laughs) but also relief because like, okay, now I'm in the right section of the library. Now I can like find some tools that are more applicable than just trying to force myself into these neurotypical type, like using a planner or using a calendar in a way that maybe everybody expects it was certainly a combination of resentment and relief. That's really good. That seems about right. It also opened up this world of resources for you in education so you could figure out how to yeah. yourself, right? How yeah. Are you, yeah. How are you managing it now? It's a whole lot better than it used to be. I'm kinder with myself than I ever have been in the past. There's always this pressure in our world to be productive and to get stuff done and check off boxes. The data loads required to do that are tremendous for, for the ADHD brain, but meeting myself where I'm at, acknowledging that something's hard, not shaming myself when I need a break, and then taking the break without judgment or agenda, and then checking in again and seeing how it's going. It's not a perfect thing, but it, having the awareness around it has certainly allowed me to be more intentional around the strategies. 
but I'm also medicated. I take Vyvanse, 15 milligrams twice a day. And that certainly helps, but the tools are really where it's at for me in a big way. What does the medication actually do for you? It seems to, to widen the hourglass. It creates a better flow of information. Things just seem to line up a little bit easier when I take it. I only tend to take it when I have higher demand days. It's not an everyday thing because it does mess with my heart rate. It just widens the road a little bit, widens the hourglass, makes it so that information can flow more freely. It enables me to articulate my thoughts better, to process incoming information better, and then use the information to take action. It's not muddled in confusion. You describe these things. It's clear oh. that you really thought a lot about them. Did you ever suspect that you had ADHD before your therapist told you? Weirdly, I hadn't. It was a surprise at the time. I just thought I was the weird kid or the weird guy or just holding on to my old diagnoses from high school. Wait, and what were you diagnosed with in high school? It was a uh, learning disability and uh, depression, anxiety, but it ne- never occurred to me that it could be ADHD, despite having spent time in the classroom with students with ADHD. Before you had said that you always felt small, do you continue to feel that way or is that easing up a bit now that you're managing? I feel it doesn't really go away completely. It ebbs and flows. There are days where I feel like the biggest imposter on the planet and there are days where I feel like a champion. There is everything in between. It's a, it's a tough thing to navigate. I certainly still feel small sometimes. Yeah. I think you have this gift, though, that you can understand yourself to this degree. Now you're working with kids who are so far from that understanding. So that's a pretty cool position you're in. Yeah, I feel really grateful. It's the whole inspiration behind Life Skills Advocate, the support that I wish I had when I was younger. Like people recognizing that there's something going on. It's not a moral issue. It's not a judgment issue. It's a it's that your brain works differently. You and the people in your life need some better tools to advocate better and to build some tangible life skills and executive functioning skills. Or knowing that cognitive flexibility is a big piece of it too. Teaching our, our kids that we need the world to work with you, but also how can we work with what's probably not going to change 100%. It's a two-way street. I think it's unreasonable to expect it to go 100% either direction. Yeah, I totally agree (laughs) with that. There's a political movement now that the world should just accommodate all sorts of differences. And we shouldn't have to struggle that hard, I think. But yeah, the world is not going to change in facing that. And it's really about controlling what we can. We spend all of our efforts trying to change the world. We may never get our needs met. Yeah, true. Yeah. Also getting rid of the shame, I think that removes so much friction and gives you so much more energy to actually produce, create. And speaking of create, you own your own business now? I do. What's that called? Uh, Life Skills Advocate. You've you've worked on a workbook for strategies for executive function. Can you, I wonder if you could describe some of the strategies that you recommend. Yeah. Can I give you a high level overview of the workbook? It's called the Real Life Executive Function Work. It's 11 chapters. It's inspired by me buying seven or eight different workbooks and nothing against the things that people created, but it's really hard as someone 
with ADHD or with neurodivergence to open a book and see a wall of text. Our workbook, is, it gets right into the work itself, into the exercises. Every chapter is its own discrete executive function skills. For example, there's a chapter on planning, there's one on time management, there's one on flexibility and so on. Each chapter begins with a pre-assessment to give you a sense of where you're at. Based on your pre-assessment answers, it will direct you to the specific exercises that are applicable. You're not having to read the thing from, from front to back. You can just, it's a choose your own adventure type. Get your needs met without having to go through all, all the pages. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. I'm really curious to look at it. Do uh, you mostly work with kids in one-on-one sessions or do you go into schools? How do you mostly work? It's primarily one-on-one sessions, mostly via Zoom, but we do have a certain number of clients who we see in person in the Seattle area. That's cool. And what about relationships? How has ADHD affected relationships in your life? Oh, that's a big one. I don't want to inadvertently throw anybody under the bus or anything, but I think if my parents understood me more and my ADHD growing up, we would have more compassion and understanding relationships today. It's unfortunate, but I don't have a relationship at all with my dad. I don't pretend to know or understand his brain or how he works, but being held to neurotypical standards that I was not able to meet. So a lot of people forget that impulse control is actually an executive function skill that's connected closely to ADHD. Not to excuse that you know, all of our actions still result in consequences one way or another, but there were some situations growing up where I wasn't given the benefit of the doubt. People, yeah, they've been so ignorant about mental health that there's almost a revolution yeah. in understanding now. Yeah. Definitely. I feel like I'm still being held accountable 25 years later for things that happened when I was in my early to mid-teens. That just doesn't feel very fair. I don't know if I want to get into my family dynamic, but the relationship aspect of, of everything has been profound. On a positive note, my, my wife, Lisa, and my son, Benji, who's three, uh, he, they, they've been quite the opposite and profoundly understanding and helpful. And They say living well is the best revenge, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Sounds like you're doing it. Well, we can get your book. Tell um, us the name of it again. It's the Real Life Executive Function Workbook, and it's available on our website, lifeskillsadvocate.com. A coupon code LSA50 will give them a 50% off. Is there any special advice you'd like to give people that are just starting their ADHD journey? Yeah. yeah. Don't moralize it. You're not a lesser person. There's nothing morally wrong with you. Your brain works differently and that's okay. You're still worthy of love. You're still worthy of care and good strategies and good teaching. But if you're suspecting you have ADHD or any other form of neurodivergence, there's absolutely nothing wrong or no shame in getting checked out. I wish I would have done it a lot earlier. For parents, it's the same advice. See if you can recognize or talk to professionals or whomever about noticing the differences between what is a behavior that is a product of the neurodivergence versus what is a behavior that's a kid being 
a jerk or a kid being malicious. Often those things get mixed up and we end up making our kids feel bad about having challenges with neurodivergence. Great advice. And it's really been a pleasure talking with you today. Uh, You too. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. Okay. Good luck with everything you're doing. This has been really fun. Um, Good. That's what we love when people finish the interview and they're, (laughs) they're glad they did it. For all of them, it's a stretch. It's taking a risk. But you can be proud of yourself that you did oh, it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I was certainly nervous, but you guys both have a very a way about you to, to, to ease those nerves. I'm not your therapist, Chris, but it concerns me that you say you still feel small. Yeah. I wondered if that's because you still engage in a lot of negative self-talk. Yeah, I do. Yeah, certainly do. One of those things that's a whole lot easier said than done. I have worked on stopping it. Always, lifelong battle. <laughs> always open to feedback on what you found to be helpful in stopping it. There are these thought stopping techniques. Do you know those? If you catch yourself thinking something negative, you pick up something on your desk and really study it. You do anything to be thinking about something else and you mm-hmm. just keep working that way. But the mm-hmm. one that I at suggested to a friend is you put a rubber band on your wrist and you snap it every time you're thinking negative. You're getting a negative reinforcement. The first thing is just to stop the negative self-talk. That alone will make a huge difference. Then you go to the step of incorporating positive self-talk. When I'm in periods of higher stress or demand in general is when the negative self-talk tends to the hardest. It's not that there's never positive self-talk, but it's a process. I like the rubber band idea and I like the idea about picking something off the desk and studying it. Really a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye, Catherine. Thank you. Trying to remember what you just said that gave me something I wanted to tell you. It's so frustrating. Yeah, I know what you mean. Oh, I wanted to say what happens in my life now. I have something negative that happens. What I tell myself is I'm throwing out a wide net. I'm throwing out a lot of possibilities. It's unrealistic to expect they're all going to turn out positive. When something comes back negative, that's a downer. And you could go down a spiral and just wonder why blah, blah, blah. I force myself to move on and just say, I put out a lot of things. They're not all going to be successful. I realize that. That's what's helped me to move on. Yeah, I like that. I put myself in a weird position. I have my own business. I I put myself in a position where there's more opportunity for for negative stuff to happen. You know what I mean? Risk-taking. Yeah, risk-taking. Yeah. Yeah. Not all your ideas are going to work out. And the workplace, even promoting my book, or tr- just getting attention, there's a lot of challenge out there. Yeah, there sure you know, is, yeah. Although you want to have high expectations, so you motivate yourself to do stuff, it, it's not all going to work out. Yeah, it doesn't always. But the, the experiment, if you don't experiment at all, then you may miss the, the good stuff. It's a constant game of risk-reward, cost-benefit. Just We have to decide day-to-day, like, we're taking our risk on. It's not always super clear what that is. I think for all of us, when you're able to talk about it, you just get more comfortable with having it. 
for me, the first, what I wrote in my book, the first time I was going to say it publicly, it was so intimidating. I had to practice over and over. I would visualized having to say it to 50 people, and then there were only 20 there. You find the more people you tell, they don't remember. Yeah. In our mind, we think it's a big deal, but they don't think it is. Yeah, we always think we're like the main character of everyone's story. I, I struggle to talk about myself in general, whether it be about ADHD or the fact that I like to garden. It doesn't really uh, Maybe you're shy. Uh, maybe that's part of it. Yeah, right. it, it feels like anytime I talk about myself, there, there might be an opportunity for someone to say something positive about me and that I struggle with positive feedback. Public speaking is really hard for me. And uh, yeah, I think these types of arrangements are really helpful because it's, just, it's a safe space, even though it is going to to a, a lot of people. It's just the three of us here. We have a lot of knowledge. Yeah. And once we get started, we can yeah. share it. We have a passion about sharing it. But the problem is just visualizing it and getting started. I have a million thoughts all at once, and it's figuring out which order to to say things in that make sense to the people listening. Uh -huh. I find myself getting nervous and and then I become aware of how nervous I am, which makes me more nervous. It's a downward spiral from there. But ADHD really does feel like a bandwidth issue. My brain goes a million miles a minute and my mouth only goes as fast uh -huh. as I can. Uh -huh. it, it could sound like I'm not intelligent, even though I have a lot of ideas. I took a, a class from... And that was the point was there's so many skills that we're beginners at. We have to give us the grace because we're beginners. Other people already knew to put their credit card away or knew to hang their keys up or whatever. We just didn't grow up knowing those things. So we're beginners. Yeah, that's what it feels like a lot. Like, like a like beginner you, yeah. life, like small talk with the cashier. I always try to use a self-checkout just because... I don't want to get sucked into a small talk situation where it's awkward and I'm and I'm standing there waiting for the damn receipt. Can you give it to me already? Everything feels like a brand new venture, which can be exhausting sometimes. So, yeah. I'll let you go. And thank you. Yeah, thank you. Talk to you later. This has been a production of Inattentive ADHD Coalition. Check us out at iadhd.org and see how you help us by donating or by spreading awareness of inattentive ADHD. Thank you.